So with technology uh, comes a, a video sermon. It's awesome. Uh, saves a lot of reading and a lot of uh, stress during the week. So we appreciate it as elders and members of the congregation. This one is, uh, the levy is going to break, and it's from Sid Yitma and the Kempel CRC. Our scripture reading comes from Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43. You can find that on page 550 and 551. And you can keep your finger in it. We're not going to read it right away. Um, Psalm 42 and 43. This is over the course of history when you, you have scribes at work and you're putting in verses and numbers after the fact. Um, somewhere along the line, this got turned into two psalms. But if you read the two of them and you look at it closely, it is clearly meant to be one psalm as uh, the, the verse and choruses match up between the two of them. So it is one psalm. So we'll be reading both of those in a, in a few minutes. Now, I want to begin when thinking about this subject matter by listening to a song that was written uh, by uh, uh, Kansas Joe McCoy and performed with Kansas Joe McCoy and Memphis Million. This is a song that's recorded in 1929 after the great Mississippi flood in the southern uh, United States. Now, those of you who are uh, aging rockers uh, might know this song from Led Zeppelin's version, uh, which is also of the same name called When the Levee Breaks. So uh, please listen to the song When the Levee Breaks. Play it twice then. 
Now, what's noteworthy about this song is not just that it records the history of uh, an event in the 1920s. It's that it also deals with the sentiment and the story behind the story. It's known that when the Mississippi flood was taking place, that the African-American community was, were those who largely lived in the lowlands of the Mississippi. And many of them, when the water started rising, were forced by gunpoint to work on the levee by many of the landowners in the region. As a result, many of the African-American community were placed directly in harm's way of this great flood, and many of them lost their lives in the process. After the flood, the pain continued as they were living in camps where there was little food, little money, and horrible conditions. There was a migration that took place as people began to go north looking for jobs and looking for opportunity. When Memphis Millie and Kansas Joe McCoy write this song in 1929, only a couple of years after this flood has, has taken place, the phrase, if it keeps on raining, the levee is going to break, is not just a comment about the water and the dam. It's an expression of lament from an entire community. If it keeps on raining, the levee is going to break. It's a metaphor and lament of what many in their community were feeling. And the blues in the African-American community, especially in the early 20th century, were the voice of many deeply religious people trying to work out this tension of a faith in God while experiencing injustices and suffering. Father Richard Rohr, in an article about the blues, writes... Like the familiar laments in the Psalms, blues artists forthrightly engaged the issue in life that the church would not discuss, such as sexuality, theodicy, and the unbated despair of the people. The lyrics were straightforward and sometimes raunchy, but they captured the life experiences of the listeners. While gospel music promised peace in the hereafter and the promise of God's presence, the blues became public theology communal inquiry, and a critique of the church. The contemplative moment comes as the cause of the blues is considered within the broader context of God's inexplicable absence or startling intervention. Under every stanza is the silent and unspoken question, How long? O Lord, how long will your people continue to suffer? If it keeps on raining the levee is going to break. Think about this Memphis Millian and and Kansas Joe McCoy song. When I read news about Serena Esmalzada, as she was beaten to death because of morality laws in Iran, her pants were too tight. There are women who live in fear every single day if it keeps on raining the levee's going to break and today as we gather here in worship there are Ukrainian people who are during the 8th month of an unjust war wondering if the day will come when they can sleep safely at night if it keeps on raining the levee's going to break 
and in our own community there are families who are struggling with marriages debilitating sickness mental health challenges grief and it's painful and it's hard and if it keeps on raining the levee's going to break this chorus describes that breaking point in life where you feel like you're, you're walking on glass and if you step too hard, it's going to break and you're going to fall and you don't know how far you're going to fall. And it's in that space that we have questions and we have doubts where we are weary and where we sometimes wonder about God's presence. And it's at times like these that a simple platitude about God being in charge can, can ring hollow because while it's true in our heads, it isn't always what we're feeling in our hearts. And we need to lament. And we should lament. And, and so often, oddly, we don't. And, and if we do, the underlying message we often receive is people try to put bumper sticker theology over our pain and that we must lament on our own. Don't bring your sadness in, into the community. Don't, don't make us feel uncomfortable. Not into church. We're, we're here looking for positivity and a euphoric lift. As Carl Truman wrote in an article, What Can the Miserable Christian Sing? A diet of unremittingly jolly choruses and hymns inevitably creates an unrealistic horizon of expectation which sees the normative Christian life as one long triumphalist street party, a theologically incorrect and pastorally disastrous scenario in a world of broken individuals. And as the world of broken individuals looks at the church, sometimes they say, I'm not sure those people understand my story or my pain. But God's word challenges us to a different way and a different posture. And we find that way in the Psalms. In the Psalms, there are more laments than there are Psalms of thanksgiving. There is this constant diet of questions, of anger, of sadness, of turning to God and asking where he is in the midst of all of this. And as we noted last week, there is something to think about when we consider that these words of pain, these words of crying out to God, are also a part of the inspired word of God, meaning it's also God's word to us. God meets us in that very place through these words. And in this moment, as we read these laments, it, it validates the deep sense of honesty that God wants from each and every one of us. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, and my God. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmist, for whatever reason, he, he, he can't find it within himself to the go to the house of praise. We hear in these words, he remembers those good days. You know, those days when he used to gather with all of the people and he would join the festive throng as they made their way to Jerusalem, as they went to the temple, as they, as they celebrated the feasts. He remembers those days fondly. But right now, he's a long way off from Jerusalem, from the place of God's presence. Verse 1 of Psalm 43 suggests that he's oppressed by a foreign people. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 42 says he's surrounded by all kinds of trouble. The psalmist feels alone. And while it may be a, a personal alone, it's more likely that the loneliness that the psalmist is feeling and expressing in this moment is, is, is the loneliness of an entire community. As they wonder where God is. And what's most distressing to the psalmist in this moment is that God's presence doesn't feel real to him. A fact that is emphasized when he continually expresses the fact that those around him say, where's your God? I think that many of us know that honest feeling that is expressed in the Psalms. We're, we're a part of a faith tradition. 
We believe in God and because of that belief we have expectations of, of God and that he will be with us. And it's what God promises us as we read his word. But when life is filled with injustice, when the world is not the way it's supposed to be, then the promises of God's presence sometimes don't always feel real. And what the Psalms teach us is that when we feel this way, a healthy response is not simply to push our doubts away and hide them. Don't hide your sadness or your anger. The healthy response is to call upon the one who made those promises. Consider Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross, and what is he crying? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's as though Jesus on the cross might very well have been saying, if it keeps on raining, the levee is going to break. In the moment when Psalm 42 describes our tears have become our food, day and night. To pretend that everything is okay is to deny being human. And the one thing that God never asks us to do is to not be human. It's who we are. And to lament is to express the tension we feel when when the echoes of a good creation ring in our minds, but our experience of life is anything but good. In that moment when we realize just how much of life is not in our hands, when we realize how little control we have. To lament is to put it into the hands of the one whose reputation is on the line. God's. To lament is to put it into the reputation of the one who's... the reputation of the one who's on the line. It's God's. We have to put it to God. The psalmist in 43 says... Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me to your holy hill. God, you need to lead me back into your presence. In prayerful honesty, he calls upon God to show up, to lead the way. You see, lament is in fact a deep act of trust. If we do nothing with our lament, if we we simply throw it away, it, it becomes a part of a meaningless existence. But when we lament, we are turning towards the one who can do something about our pain. The one who is the Lord of heaven and earth. Calling upon God is to live expectantly for a new day. Consider again what we began with, with Memphis Millie and Kansas Joe McCoy. As they sing their lament, they sing, look here, mama, what am I to do? I ain't got nobody to tell my troubles to. They sing, I don't have anybody to tell my troubles to. But they sing it to mama. Because mama is the, is the one of safety. She's the one that, that knows her children, cares for her children, And when it seems as though nobody else is listening, you can always go home to mama. And part of what the psalmist lament does is it reminds us that we have a father, we have a parent that we too can bring all of our pain to and he will listen. 
The lament carries the same tone in that repeated chorus that we heard throughout these psalms. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. The psalmist's lament is, is not simply breath in the wind. It's directed to the one who has proven to be faithful. Last week we talked about these well-worn grooves that people have made through the wilderness, those that have gone before us. And when we don't always know where the path is going, we trust that these well-worn grooves through the wilderness are reminders that others have been this way before. And in a psalm of lament, part of our act of trust is, is... is saying, God, you have taken other people down this road before, and if they got through, I trust that you will get me through as well. My hope is not in myself. This is not all on my shoulders, God. I need you to get me through. Again, quoting from Carl Truman, By excluding the cries of loneliness dispossession and desolation from its worship, the church has effectively silenced and excluded the voices of those who are themselves lonely, dispossessed and desolate both inside and outside the church. By so doing it has implicitly endorsed the banal aspirations of consumerism, generated an insipid, trivial and unrealistically triumphalist Christianity and confirmed its impeccable credentials as a club for the complacent. Ouch. But this brings me to the conclusion of the importance of lament within the life of of a community, of the worship of God's people. As mentioned earlier, when, when the church is not discussing the injustices of our culture and the pain of the world and the pain within our own midst, people will look for other ways to meet the turmoil in their hearts. And if we wish to be God's bearers of promise in the midst of a broken world, then we must be ready to lead our communities in psalm-like lament to create that type of hospitality which says your sadness is welcome here. I think about the importance of churches being involved in communal events like Remembrance Day, where we, we take a lead in saying, yeah, war is ugly, And people die, and we will not forget that, but we will turn to God. I I think about the concept, the Jewish concept of Shiva. Jewish people, when when someone dies in their community, for the next seven days, people show up at that person's house every single day. And it's not that that person wants somebody over at their house every day. They can say, no, thank you, please don't stay. But the point is the community is expected to show up every single day as an act of solidarity to say, no, no, we are with you in the midst of your pain. And this is is what we do in in, in ways in which we, we lead the way in our communities to say that this injustice, this pain is not the way it's supposed to be. A couple of years ago, Luke Wilson, who's the president of Arasha Canada, an environmental, a Christian environmental organization, was meeting with a group of students at the university. We were talking about environmental care from a Christian perspective. And the question was raised, what, what can we do as a community in a public university setting 
that's going to bear witness to God about the environmental concerns that people have. And Luke said, you know, I often feel like the Christian groups on campus should be leading services of lament in the midst of a public university. Because if the Christians are, are leading a service of lament in a public sphere like that, he says, I think that non-believers would take notice and they would actually join in with your laments about the state of environmental concerns. <coughs> and it struck me that one of the ways from a missional standpoint that we can lead in our culture is to make sure that we are taking the time to lament for some of the problems of our world in a way in which we invite other people to join into those spaces. If Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, then the posture uh, of Christians and our presence in this world must be of dwelling with people meeting them where they're at and joining them in that God-directed chorus of if it keeps on raining, the levee's going to break. Because it's from that position that we model and show a posture of humility and humanity that recognizes that life is not in our hands. We don't control things. And it's from that position that we invite people to to join us in in the story that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, of a God who, who hovers over the waters of chaos and brings forth dry ground and brings forth vegetation and life and renewal to the God who can bring about redemption. Ultimately, lament is about hope in something other than ourselves. And so in our laments, we too with the psalmist pray, why are we cast down, O my soul? And why are we disquieted from within? Let us hope in God, for we shall again praise Him, our help and our God.